Before we get started today, just a quick reminder on our Buy Me A Coffee memberships. As you might know, you can offer one to five coffees to our staff every month and that gets you exclusive benefits like special newsletters, behind the scenes content, the ability to ask us questions directly, as well as a special shout out here on our podcast. Today, I want to thank our members on Buy Me A Coffee, Anderson Da Silva, Kat Kramer, Fra, Peter Suffren, Anna Lund, Mabel, and someone who chose not to share their name. We're so flattered that this list is growing. Thank you for your support. If you'd like to support independent journalism and hear your name on our podcast, it's simple. Just head to our Buy Me A Coffee page and subscribe to one of our membership tiers. And you can still tip us a coffee to give us the energy we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil, even if you can't commit to it monthly. We appreciate all your support. Head to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian report to find out more. The opposition to Jair Bolsonaro has mustered enough signatures to open a congressional hearings committee to investigate corruption allegations within the education ministry. Milton Ribeiro, the former head of the department, was recently arrested on suspicions that he took part in a kickback scheme involving evangelical preachers. The case could further damage President Jair Bolsonaro's image in front of voters, with less than 100 days to go before Brazilians hit the polls. And members of the opposition believe the president himself could face legal action. My name's Ewan Marshall, standing in for the editor-in-chief Gustavo Ribeiro, and this is Explaining Brazil. One year ago, Senator Handolfi Rodriguez collected signatures in order to open a congressional hearings committee to investigate the Jair Bolsonaro administration's pandemic response. His efforts led to a six-month investigation into the nuts and bolts of the government's COVID policies. A realização de uma comissão parlamentar de inquérito que investigasse as omissões, as ações e omissões que o governo federal tinha adotado no enfrentamento eh, da pandemia. Which resulted in 81 indictment requests, including accusations of crimes against humanity made against the president himself. É que o governo, ao invés de ter apostado na ciência e, até, e ao invés de ter apostado nas vacinas, apostou em tratamento precoce sem eficácia e no uso disseminado da hidroxicloroquina. But the COVID hearings have ended up being a bit of a damp squib, with a pro-Bolsonaro prosecutor general sitting on the indictment requests and public opinion no longer caring about the scandals that senators revealed. Now, Andolfi Rodriguez wants to take a second swing at President Bolsonaro. On Tuesday, he presented a request to investigate allegations that a fund to finance state and municipal education policies was being used for a kickback scheme. Cede Silva, you're our Brasilia correspondent for the Brazilian Report. Welcome back. That's two episodes in a row now. Yeah. Uh, hi, Ewan. Thanks for having me again. So, Cede, what is the scandal we're talking about? So this crisis started back in March. At first, a report on Estadão newspaper showed that two evangelical preachers had a lot of sway over a massive education fund to finance projects enacted by state and city governments. Then, audio recordings were leaked featuring the then education minister at the time, Milton Ribeiro, telling a meeting of mayors that his department prioritizes funding for cities 
that have the endorsement of those two evangelical preachers. Milton Ribeiro said that this was a special request made by President Jair Bolsonaro. After this news broke, uh, several mayors came forward to say that the evangelical preachers were charging bribes for that endorsement. Sometimes they asked for cash or even gold as kickbacks. Right, so what happened next? Well, a couple of weeks after the scandal broke, Milton Ribeiro resigned from office. I mean, he, he resigned officially. That's what on the official gazette. Some people say he was fired. But anyway, Milton Ribeiro left office as minister. The nail in the coffin was the revelation that the government sponsored an event in which attendants received a Bible with pictures of Mr. Ribeiro and the two preachers in question. Mr. Ribeiro had become toxic, and evangelical groups in Congress who had vowed for him in the past became non-committal about him, making his situation untenable. And just for the benefit of our listeners, could you give us a bit of background on who exactly is Milton Ribeiro? Sure. So uh, Milton Ribeiro was a member of the so-called ideological wing of the government, Uh, I personally believe that the whole government is ideological, but um, in the press, it's it's often said that there is this ideological wing. We don't like to use that term of the Brazilian report either, because it implies that other members of the cabinet are technocrats who don't necessarily abide by Bolsonaro's ideology, and that is certainly not true. But still, he didn't come from a political background. Milton Ribeiro is a Presbyterian minister with a master's degree in law and another in education. He was also a board member at the foundation which runs the Mackenzie Presbyterian University, which is a major private education group in Brazil. His nomination came to cater to President Bolsonaro's culture wars. The government is in favor of homeschooling, which in Brazil is a demand mainly from French sectors on the right. And it is also against teaching children about gender issues and against LGBT phobia, which for religious sectors in Brazil would, quote, teach children, unquote, to become homosexuals. Uh, Mr. Ribeiro, in fact, has, has said explicitly about this uh, several times. And the government is also paranoid about what it sees as a concerted effort by public teachers to indoctrinate children into becoming communists. So the education ministry is one of the portfolios that has seen the most changes during these three and a half years of Bolsonaro as president. And each time, office holders are forced out by their own misdeeds. The first one, Ricardo Vélez, lasted only three months. He was booted out after being discredited by a center-left congresswoman, Tabata Amaral, during a congressional hearing on education. Não é possível que o senhor apresente um PowerPoint com dois, três desejos para cada área da educação. Cadê os projetos? Cadê as metas? Quem são os responsáveis? Isso daqui não é planejamento estratégico. Then came Abraham Weintraub, who was known for his radical political positions, which says a lot about someone in this administration. He made foul-mouthed declarations about adversaries, published expletive-laden tweets, and at one point, even made a xenophobic posting. Let's remember that China is Brazil's top trading partner and was the country's second vaccine supplier after AstraZeneca. Abraham Weitraub lasted for a year and was fired after his attacks against the Supreme Court in a ministerial meeting were published. And as we say in Brazil, he fell upwards 
with a nomination as executive director to the World Bank in Washington, D.C. And that's how we got to Milton Ribeiro, who resigned officially due to corruption allegations around his department. Right, Sede, thanks for that context. So what exactly did implicate Milton Ribeiro in this scandal? So even after Mr. Ribeiro left office, the federal police and the federal comptroller's office kept investigating the case. And since then, the federal comptroller's office identified suspicious operations in Ribeiro's accounts. According to reports based on sealed documents that were leaked, Mr. Ribeiro's wife sold a car to the daughter of one of the preachers allegedly involved in the scheme. And that happened after the allegations had surfaced, which led investigators to suspect the deal could be a front for something nastier. This changed the course of the investigation into the alleged corruption within the education ministry and direct links between the former minister and the supposedly corrupt preachers became a central line of investigation, leading to Mr. Ribeiro's arrest last week. Right, and what happened last week? The federal police last Wednesday arrested the former education minister. He's formally suspected of corruption, malfeasance, and influence peddling. Throughout that day, police officers carried out search and seizure operations at his home and at the education ministry itself. The federal police carried out what is known as a, quote, preventive arrest. This is an exceptional type of pre-trial arrest. It sets no time frame for a suspect to be released and therefore can only be used in cases of flight risk or to prevent suspects from tampering with evidence. But of course that arrest didn't last for more than a day, did it? Exactly. So an appellate judge issued an injunction suspending the arrest order for all suspects. The judge based his decision on the fact that the arrest order was confidential and that the suspect's lawyers were not given immediate access to the case record. Now, the ruling was met with criticism by members of the opposition who saw a connection with the habeas corpus and the fact that the judge who issued the injunction benefiting Milton Ribeiro is on a short list for a presidential nomination to the Superior Court of Justice, Brazil's second highest judicial body. So it quickly raised allegations of a quid pro quo, although the grounds for the decision do hold water. And Sede, the problem for the government, and especially for President Jair Bolsonaro, is that details of this investigation keep on surfacing. And as this plot thickens, the whole thing becomes a lot more compromising for the president, doesn't it? Yes. So on Friday, just two days after the arrest, one wiretap made by the police was leaked. Oi, tudo bem? Tudo bem. And it showed Milton Ribeiro telling his daughter, President Bolsonaro, told him they had a hunch that a seize and search operation against Mr. Ribeiro would take place. And the conversation happened on June 9th as President Bolsonaro was attending the Summit of the Americas in Los Angeles a few weeks ago. So in theory, the president could face an investigation for obstruction of justice. Right, but we should say that that would be a bit of a long shot because you can't indict a sitting Brazilian president unless two-thirds of the House agrees. And with the election just a few months away, that's all very unlikely, right? But anyway, what else surfaced? So even more links between former Minister Ribeiro and the preachers who allegedly ran the graft scheme became known. 
And what has been the reaction of the political world to this kind of swirling scandal? Well, opposition senators who spearheaded the COVID inquiry last year began collecting signatures to gather enough support for a new committee. And today, Tuesday, they announced that they have 31 signatures, which is four more than they need. And they announced the, that they are going to request the creation of a new hearings committee uh, this Tuesday. Um, Senator Randolfi Rodriguez, who was also an important figure in the COVID inquiry last year, he announced that he expects this committee to be launched, to be installed, or to begin its, begin its works uh, now in mid-July, or as, as of latest, as uh, in early August. So Senator Randolfi Rodriguez, he said on a press conference this Tuesday, that actually the deadline is until Tuesday midnight. So that's midnight from Tuesday to Wednesday for senators to withdraw their signatures. And then the petition to create the select committee would not take effect. But Senator Randolph Rodriguez said this was doubtful because they already had four more signatures than they needed and that more were coming, that there was more coming in the way. So it is now very unlikely that a committee will not be created because this time the senators got uh, more signatures than they needed. So that means that the government would need to convince at least five senators to withdraw their support for the inquiry. That's a bit of a tall order, isn't it? Uh, that's correct. Um, I, I think that it's very doubtful that it's going to happen because the political situation changed a lot after Milton Ribeiro's arrest, even though he was released on the next day. And also, I've spoken with Senator Jorge Cajuru, which is also, also an opposition senator and a, probably is going to be an important figure on this new select committee. And what you're going to do on this Tuesday afternoon is they're going to discuss uh, who gets what role. So they're going to select the senators from each party, uh, how much senators each party is going to nominate, and who is going to be the rapporteur, who is going to be the president of this committee, and so on. So it seems to me that the opposition is now fully committed, and they don't, um, they don't anticipate the possibility of this decision of installing the committee being reversed. Still, if this inquiry does go ahead, it would be happening during the election campaign. How would that work, if at all? So we've had already had some important uh, precedents, some select committees in Congress in election years. Uh, for example, in 2005-2006, we had the select committee on the House, which was the Correios, the post office CPI or investigation, which uh, was an important investigation to review facts about the so-called Mensalon, which was the corruption scheme where the government used public money, the Lula government used public money to buy uh, Congress people. And this was also done, the, the final report was out in 2006, which was an election year in which, by the way, Lula won re-election against Geraldo Alckmin, who is now his running mate in the 2022 election. And one other thing that Randolfo Rodriguez, the Senator Randolfo Rodriguez, explicitly talked about is that in, in the Brazilian Senate, the term lasts for eight years, and two-thirds of the current Senate were elected in 2018. So the senators themselves do not need to run for election this year. They were elected in 2018 to last until 2026. 
So, of course, some, some of these senators are going to their home bases and their districts to participate and support in the elections for governor, in the elections for their allies. But there's a huge chunk of the Senate uh, who is not running for, ele- for election this year. So they can afford more time for the select committee uh, in, in their work of uh, investigation. And what risk does the inquiry pose for the government? Okay, so hearings committees or select committees have traditionally not been that consequential in legal terms, even those which produced a slew of evidence of criminal activity like the COVID hearings have essentially produced no results in terms of indictments and arrests. A huge part of that is because uh, Jair Bolsonaro nominated, for for example, Augusto Aras, who basically doesn't work. Uh, Congress doesn't have prosecutorial powers, so it can only recommend action against someone. And as Brazil's Prosecutor General Augusto Ares seems completely co-opted by the government, nothing came out from the 81 indictment requests the Senate produced against the architects of Brazil's budget COVID response. Right. So if there's no concrete legal consequence, there definitely will be a political consequence, right? Oh, so there are a lot of those. This is a political stage that draws a lot of attention from the media and can be used by lawmakers to produce report after report after report against the government and drum home as hard as it can be that the Bolsonaro administration is corrupt. From a political standpoint, these committees can have a lot of power. Take a look at Senator Simone Tebic. Until last year, she was barely noticed by the press or voters outside of her state of Mato Grosso do Sul. Polls showed she would finish her first term in the Senate without a comfortable situation to win a new term. But her fortunes changed after the COVID hearings when she had a combative performance which drew a lot of praise. Now she is a presidential candidate for a center-right party And while she's only polling at 1% and has no shot at all at the top office, her name is now recognized beyond the borders of her state. This time around, opposition politicians would use every second of speaking time to bash the government. Just imagine, even the amount of content on social media, newscasts, etc. Right, and it's not as if President Jair Bolsonaro was comfortable in the presidential race even before this scandal broke, right? Yeah, so President Bolsonaro had surged in the polls early this year, but the Russian invasion of Ukraine worsened our inflationary crisis and families' purchasing power is eroding fast. So the president stopped making gains and for the past couple of months, former President Lula has remained in a position to win in a first round landslide. Datafolha last week gave Lula 47% of voting intentions against Bolsonaro's 28%. Lula's adversaries combine for 41%, which is six points behind him, and thus that's enough for Lula to win in the first round without a runoff. The silver lining for Mr. Bolsonaro, if there is one, is that his numbers improved in spontaneous polls from 22 to 25%. These are the polls which ask voters to make their choice without showing them a list of candidates first and are regarded as snapshots of consolidated support. But Lula continues to have the inside lane to win the presidency. President Bolsonaro has three months until election day to change his fortunes. That will be an uphill battle, considering that inflation continues in the double digits, 
poverty continues to climb and wages are stagnant. If you add a non-stop reel of politicians eviscerating the government, it becomes an even taller order. Cede Silva, Brazilian correspondent for the Brazilian Report, thank you very much. Thank you, Ewan. If you like Explaining Brazil, please rate us with five stars wherever you get your podcasts. It takes only a second and it'll help us reach a broader audience. Or better yet, you can sign up for the Brazilian Report, which is the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model and our subscriptions fuel our journalism and keep us going and growing. If you're already a subscriber, then you can give us some extra support by filling our coffee mugs with donations or buy me a coffee. We have a membership program there with exclusive perks like behind-the-scenes content and exclusive newsletters. So go to buymeacoffee.com slash brazilianreport. I'm Ewan Marshall. Thanks for listening and Explaining Brazil will be back next week.